Okay, let's go ahead and uh, grab a seat and we will get started. Um, good morning again, I'm Matt. For those of you who I haven't met, and as I mentioned a moment ago, we are continuing and concluding our series through the book of Galatians this morning. So if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and turn with me to the end of Galatians, Galatians 6, verse 11, as we finish out our series. Uh, and what a journey it has been. Uh, throughout this letter, which may be the earliest that we have from the Apostle Paul, uh, Paul has urged us not to trust in the flesh or the works of the flesh in human striving, in religious performance, in performance under the law of Moses. But instead, he says, you are to trust in Christ. You, you are to trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. You are to trust that his sacrifice was sufficient, that we are a cleansed of all sin and guilt, that we are freed from the power of sin moving forward in our new lives with him. We are adopted into the family of God. And as we place our trust in Jesus and we devote our lives to following after him, Paul says we actually become new creations. The old has gone, he says, the new has come. We receive something in Jesus that we were powerless to receive under the law. And Paul is going to drive that point home as we finish out the letter this morning. These are the final verses in the book of Galatians, starting in verse 11. See what large letters that I use as I, Paul, write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do so is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, submit our hearts to you, Lord. We surrender to you, uh, recognizing that you are the one who brings about renewal, first in our hearts, then in our community, and then in the culture at large. Uh, and we, we recognize, Lord, um, that we, we are powerless under the law uh, to impart life to ourselves. that we cannot get life or new creation from the law. It comes from you. And in the same way, Lord, as we look out at our culture, we recognize that uh, having, having a really cool uh, church service isn't going to get the job done. The best uh, sermons in the world won't get the job done. The best worship in the world won't get the job done. The, the, the best um, trendiest buildings in the world, it just won't matter in the culture that we live in. We need something more. Uh, and so in the same way that we were powerless to receive life under the law, it had to be imparted by you. There's a sense in which there's the Western church, Lord, we're coming to this moment of feeling powerless to reach the culture around us. It has to be you. 
you have to stir something in the heart of this culture. You have to awaken us as a people again. Would you start here, Lord? Start with us uh, in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He brought life and substance into existence. Uh, The material universe came into being. And it had a specific structure, a specific order, with human beings, his unique image bearers, in a place of authority over that creation. We had this key role of influence. Uh, But humanity, uh, we abused our power. We didn't want to be under God's authority. And at Satan's urging, we tried to take authority, autonomy, into our own hands, rebelling against God in the process. And this event is what theologians call the fall. Uh, It was the fall of humanity from our place of privilege. But because humanity was in a place of influence uh, over all of creation, all of creation then experiences this fall into chaos and disorder. And so you and I were born into this fallen world, uh, into this broken world, a world that is characterized by sin and death. And we have seen plenty of both in 2020. And yet it was into this broken world that God brought about redemption, starting with Abraham and culminating in Jesus and his cross, his burial, his resurrection. Thus, from page four of your Bibles onward, we have a story of redemption. All the way up until the final chapters, the story of the scriptures is one of redemption. God has set out to rescue, to redeem humanity and rescue creation. But there's actually four acts or four stages in the human story, in the story of scripture. So we have creation in the beginning. Then we have uh, the fall, which happens very early on in the human story. Then we have redemption, which is everything from chapter three of your Bibles onward. But it's all pointing to our future, which is actually the fourth and final act. It is new creation. God created the world. Humans ruined the world. God died to rescue the world and God will return in full to recreate the world. It is Eden reimagined. In fact, if you turn to the final pages of scripture, the very last thing you see is a glimpse of our future. What happens after Jesus returns? We're told that the dead are raised to life, some to judgment and some to salvation, and that those who trusted in Jesus will enter this new creation, an eternal place uh, like this place, but very different, a a place flooded with God's presence, a place no longer subject to Satan's sin and death. In fact, the, the final chapter headings, which we inserted into the Bible, Talk about a new heaven and a new earth, a a new heavenly Jerusalem, Eden restored. 
they're all talking about the new creation. And I think it's important that we keep that future place in mind, that we live with that on the horizon, that we imagine and even try to visualize that future place, that we root ourselves in it. Because Paul says that in and through Jesus, that future place by some mystery is already coming to bear on this present age. We all live in a broken world, in a warped world, in an immoral world. Uh, We sense that brokenness, that immorality in the world around us, on social media, in the news. But if we're paying attention, we'll actually sense those things in ourselves as well. In fact, every single human being from every single time, place, and culture, from every single religion, seems to know intuitively that something is wrong with creation. We, we all know this. We sense that something is, is off, deeply wrong with the world that we live in. And so every human culture, every people group, every religion looks for a solution to the problem. We're all grasping intuitively for redemption, for the fix, for the cure. We know the world isn't as it ought to be, that something is deeply wrong. It, it, we know it. It bothers us. What's the solution? Well, perhaps the solution is the right leader or the right form of government. If we could only get this person elected, things might fall into place. Uh, If we could only get our policies enacted, if we could only get our form of government. Once we perfect communism and create this classless society, then everything will be okay. Uh, Once we master the right form of free capitalism, then all of our problems will begin to evaporate. Or perhaps the solution is actually to detach from everything in this world. It can't be fixed. It has to be detached from so that we can meditate our way into nirvana. Or perhaps the solution is to live under the law of God to govern ourselves rightly under God's law, to make the right moral choices. In fact, this seems to be the primary route uh, for Jews, Muslims, and many Christians as well. There's this sense that that the only way to correct what is so deeply wrong in our world is to follow the right moral code. It's to operate under the law. But Paul comes in the book of Galatians and he says, it'll never work. We know there's a problem, but that's not the solution. It'll never work. You can go and go back and reread Galatians. He says the law, beautiful as it is, it only brought death. Humanity is so weakened. The problem is so bad that just adding religious law to our issues will never get the job done. It's not the solution. It'll never work. We're too far gone. 
In fact, Paul says it actually backfires. It actually uh, provokes sin and rebellion within us. The solution, Paul says, is to become a new creation. In the passage we read this morning, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What's the solution to the human problem? Well, it's not to operate under religious law, performing for God and performing for one another. That only leads to a comparison and, and boasting and backbiting. The solution to the human problem is death. When you give your life to Jesus, you are included in Christ. You are included with him. What's true of him becomes true of you. And your old self, which was ruled by sin, which is ruled by the powers of this world, is actually put to death. You don't need to tidy up your old self. You don't need the right form of government to govern your old self. You don't need the right laws or policies to control your old self. You need to put your old self to death. And that's what happened, Paul says. And so now we don't boast that our fallen self, our old self, has climbed some religious ladder and is performing well under the right moral code. Instead, Paul says, we boast in the cross through which we have been crucified to the world. That's actually very vivid, violent imagery. And the world has been crucified to us. Here, at last, Paul says, is the solution. We are dead to the world and the powers of this world, and we count the world dead to us. And then Paul continues, verse 15. He says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, which, which is a symbol for the outward following of the law in your daily life. None of that means anything. What counts is the new creation. And this might be the easiest way to sum up the entire letter to the Galatians. What counts, what matters, isn't religious law. It's not religious performance. It's not ticking the right religious boxes. It's not circumcision, which was the original outward sign of inclusion in the family of God. No, the law was powerless to impart life. It can't change you. Circumcision doesn't change you. The right moral code won't change you. It, it can't get life into you. It just provokes all the brokenness that's there beneath the surface. It makes no difference. It counts for nothing. We don't need to tidy up our old selves. We need to put our old selves to death. We don't need to tidy up creation. What we need is new creation. Humanity doesn't need to tighten up our belts and get a little more moral. It's too late. We're too far gone. We're worse off than all that. What humanity needs is to be reborn. 
We need new creation now. And Paul says that by some mystery, that's actually what happens in Christ. As we give our lives to Christ, the old is gone. It's put to death. It's crucified. We, we suffer a death of sorts. And on the other side of death is something like a resurrection. It's new life. We become new creations. And you'll say, wait a second. According to the biblical storyline, I thought we lived our lives, that we died, that we were later resurrected at the end of the age, and then new creation would come. And there's a sense in which that's absolutely correct. There's a sense in which we will live out our lives in this broken, frustrated world, and then we will die, and when Jesus returns... We will experience resurrection into physical bodies and we'll step into new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, a physical eternal place. That's all true. But new creation isn't waiting to the end of the age to break in. Because you've placed your faith in Jesus, your old self is done away with, hallelujah, and you experience your own death of sorts, a death to self and a rebirth. The old is gone. The new is here. You are now a new creation. The scriptures say outwardly in this world, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Something is happening at a core soul level that is new creation Life. You are the first fruits of that which is to come. So God says, I promise to one day return to end this age and to usher in the new heavens and the new earth. But we live in a very uh, skeptical culture, in some ways a very cynical culture. We all know this. And it's not just out there, it's, it's in here too. It's the air that we breathe. And so one might ask, how do you know? How do you know that God's going to return and usher in new creation? The world has been going on like this for a very long time. In fact, by some estimates, it's been going on like this for a very, very long time. What makes you think it's going to change? What makes you think God's going to come and bring about new creation? Well, the best evidence that new creation is coming is you. You are the evidence because you are a new creation. You aren't the only evidence, but you're some of the best because that eternal place is coming to bear on your heart. You want proof that God is going to return and renew the cosmos well, one of those proofs is that God has already gotten started with new creation and redeemed human hearts. And I can see this in my own story. Many of you know that I grew up uh, as, a, as a self-proclaimed atheist. I didn't believe in God. I thought the concept of God was rather outdated, silly, 
um, e- even dangerous or, or foolish. But I was very moral. All through high school, uh, I refused to smoke anything ever, uh, which in my context in South Tacoma was just weird, like everybody did. Uh, I refused to drink alcohol, like not a drop of alcohol ever when I was in high school, which again was just crazy. Everybody drank. Uh, I, was, I was full of integrity in many respects. I, I refused to compromise my moral code. I was a truth teller. I, I tried not to gossip about anybody. I obeyed and listened to my parents with a few minor exceptions. I refused to speak poorly of others. If you, if you held up kind of a, a, a moral code to our high school community, I was almost untouchable. I lived by this very strict moral code. I excelled more morally. I, I, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. But I didn't have hope. I didn't know God. I didn't have his spirit in me. I, I was so far from being a new creation. I could excel by some moral standards in my own effort, just through striving. But looking back, I was still dead in my sin. Years of moral striving didn't get me one inch closer to the kingdom of God. It was all garbage. I left it all behind. It was worth nothing. And what I received when I left all of that behind, when I gave my life to Jesus, what I received was a new heart. And what I became was a new creation. And I underwent a transformation that was absolutely stunning, even to me. A total change of person and character. And all of a sudden, I had this this life in me that had never been there before. Life had weight and substance and meaning like it never had before. I had purpose, which is something that you cannot have apart from God. I, I had all of these things in me that I never could have received under endless striving and a moral code. And all of that, all that's happened to me and in me, that's actually proof, Paul says, of the life that is to come. The rest is garbage. I've left it all behind. All the striving under the law, every moral achievement, none of it matters, Paul says. What counts is the new creation. Something that we receive as an act of grace, not through moral striving. We'll end with this. This is Paul's words to the church in Philippi. This is Philippians chapter 3. I want you to just listen to this as we, as we close. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, in their own moral striving, 
I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, we invite you into this place now, Lord, and we invite you to come. Our hearts are laid bare before you. Our lives are laid bare before you. And we invite you to show us where we've been relying on our own moral achievement, where we've been relying on our own moral effort, uh, where we've been Uh, running this rat race before you that is the hamster wheel of religious performance that's that's never quite good enough and lord if we are to see uh, personal renewal and cultural renewal uh, we, we believe it starts here We believe it starts with you working in redeemed human hearts. We believe it's you turning up the volume on new creation. So would you come now, Lord, and convict us of the ways that we have been operating in legalism? Um, Convict us as we round out the series of the ways that that maybe we've been trying to operate apart from your grace, uh, apart from this gift of righteousness that you have to give. And ultimately, Lord, would you encourage and strengthen each one here who's given their lives to Jesus, that they are already a new creation, that the old has gone, that the new has come and is coming in greater and greater measure in our own lives. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning uh, who has yet to commit their lives to you, If there's anyone here this morning who looks to the horizon and just sees a giant question mark, uh, who has no idea what's there waiting for them uh, on the other side of death in the age to come, Lord, I pray this morning in the power of of your spirit that they would just have the courage and the strength to surrender their lives to you, that today would be the end of striving, that today would be the end of hopelessness and the beginning of hope. 
that they would put their faith in you and your, in your death, your burial, your resurrection. And all of a sudden that scene on the horizon would, be, would become animated with hope, would become animated with the new heavens and the new earth. That's right there beyond the, the bend of space and time that's coming our direction day by day. Lord, thank you for making us in the power of the cross into new creations that are now fit and ready and eager to receive the new creation that is to come. And Lord, thank you that it's already coming in bits and pieces in the human heart right now. We are the signpost that points forward to the ultimate solution that is to come. Would we live that way, Lord? Teach us how to live as new creations, as new creation signposts in the midst of the world that is just on fire right now, that is just dying, that is perishing to the left and perishing to the right, and yet in the midst of it, you're, you're giving birth to something new. Would we walk in that and all that we're going through? In Jesus' name. Amen.